Welcome to this month's special series, Exploring Heart Health, on ReachMD XM157. HDL levels and cardiovascular risk. What if the LDL is very low? You're listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to a ReachMD special series, Exploring Heart Health. I'm your host, Dr. Gary Cohn. And joining me is Dr. Philip Barter, who is Professor of Medicine at the University of Sydney in Australia and Director of the Heart Research Institute, also in Sydney. Dr. Barter's clinical research focuses on HDL, the factors that regulate it, and how it protects against cardiovascular disease. He's published more than 200 research papers on plasma lipids and lipoproteins. And today, we're going to be talking about HDL levels and cardiovascular risks in patients with very low LDL. Dr. Barter, thanks for being with us today. Welcome to ReachMD. It's a pleasure. Perhaps before we talk about uh, some of your research, you might give us a little background on your medical interests and how you got into this field of lipid and lipoprotein research. Okay, I started off doing medicine and my specialty to start was actually gastroenterology. I became very interested in the liver and then realized that the liver makes lipoproteins and that got me into lipoproteins, LDL, HDL, VLDL, and that led me then into becoming a cardiologist and my main interest for the last 25 to 30 years has been in the role of cholesterol in its various fractions in cardiovascular disease. And my interest in HDL actually arose many years ago when I had a series of patients with acute cardiovascular disease and very low LDL levels. And that interest has persisted. That was at around the time we were first becoming interested in HDL, and that interest has persisted uh, for many years since. Well, I think many of us uh, grew up understanding about LDL and understanding about HDL. I I don't recall before you reading much work about the associations between the two. Has work been done by other cardiologists or other uh, chemists before your group took on some of these issues? Yes. In fact, unfortunately, most of it was largely ignored, but there are two very major names in this field. One is Esko Nikila from Finland, who as far back as 1960 identified a low HDL as a very powerful predictor. And this was followed very soon after by Norman Miller from the UK, who working with his brother also found that a low HDL was highly predictive. And then on and off over the years, other people have confirmed these findings, but it's really only in the last probably 10 years or so that the importance of HDL has become so much uh, to the fore. Could you maybe give us a little uh, summary of some of the work that you and your team have done at the Heart Research Institute in this area? What kinds of areas have you explored? Our area is really at two levels, at the very, very basic level, and I'll explain some of that in fairly simple terms, but also how it relates to the real patient. Now, the basic work, we asked several questions, but two of them really were paramount. What regulates the level of HDL? In other words, why do some people have low HDL and and others don't? And the other area is how does HDL protect? And that area has been one that we've been working on for a long time. The traditional view, and it's quite true, is that HDL picks up cholesterol from tissues, including the artery wall, and takes it out and therefore regresses atherosclerosis that may have formed. But what we have found and has since been confirmed by others is that HDL does many, many more things than just taking cholesterol out. 
In fact, HDL may have evolved not so much as a cholesterol transport, but as part of the innate immune system. Really? And so we know that HDL is a powerful anti-inflammatory agent. And we have shown in a variety of preclinical studies that HDL can inhibit the inflammation in arteries that are damaged. And this inhibition of inflammation may be one of the reasons why HDL is so important in acute coronary syndromes or in acute stroke, minimizing the inflammation that actually accounts for much of the tissue damage associated with heart attack or stroke. So that area is one that we have moved on and we're continuing. But others have then found since that HDL has a number of other functions. It's antioxidant. It's antithrombotic. And so HDL is the ultimate pleiotropic natural molecule. Wow. Yeah, it sounds like we ought to figure out a way to manufacture it and take it as a pill in the morning. Uh, there are many people trying to do that. I kind of figured. I kind of figured. The paper that you wrote that was in the New England Journal last year, tell me how you got to that and, and what your uh, study design was or what you were thinking about when you were designing that study. Okay, that was a wonderful spin-off of a study that started out to look at a completely different question. Really? But it was always in the back of my mind that this would come. The primary question that we asked was, we know that lowering LDL with statins reduces the risk of future cardiovascular disease. What we didn't know was, if you get the level down to an LDL cholesterol down to 100, do you get an additional benefit if you take it down to a level of about 70? And so what we did was we had 10,000 people, all with cardiovascular disease, and randomized them to either take a high-dose statin or a low-dose statin. Now, the low-dose statin group were on 10 milligrams of Lipitor, and they actually had a mean LDL level of 100. It was just over 100. The group on 80 milligrams of Lipitor achieved an LDL level of well below 80. It was about 70. And what we found when we looked at the results after five years was that the group that got the lower LDL level, the group with a higher dose of statin, actually had a 22% lower event rate. But that was the good news. The bad news was even though this group got down to levels below 70, many of them were still having cardiovascular events at a lower rate than the others, but they were still having them. So we said, why? And uh, there were some obvious uh, possibilities. People with diabetes was one possibility. They may have had other genetic abnormalities. But we said, what about low HDL? And so we tested that and found that even when the LDL is very low, having a low HDL was still associated with a substantially increased risk. What was new about this was the fact that this occurred at very low LDL levels. Up until that study, many people have said, yes, HDL is very important, but if you get the LDL down enough, HDL doesn't matter. And what we found is that it Right. If you're just joining us, you're listening to a special series exploring heart health on ReachMD. XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Gary Cohn, and I'm speaking with Dr. Philip Barter, and we are discussing HDL levels and cardiovascular risk in patients with very low LDL. So, uh, Philip, you were telling us that even folks with very low LDL still had cardiovascular events at what 
or obviously an unacceptable rate, and that it does matter that the HDL is low in those people. Was that surprising to you, given uh, your work to date? No, I, I wasn't surprised uh, for, for several reasons. One is that we talk about an LDL level of 70 being very low, but in evolutionary terms, that is still high. We, As a species, we probably evolved with an LDL level somewhere between 40 and 50. We'll never achieve that again. So I didn't necessarily see that the LDL was very, very low. But the idea that an HDL was still important down there was surprising, I think, to many people, but now pretty much accepted. Mm -hmm. You say something that has piqued my interest. You say that uh, evolutionarily speaking, we may have evolved at even uh, significantly lower LDL levels. Where does that come from? Uh, It comes from a limited number of studies in people who are still, or over the last 25, 30 years, have been living in ways with lifestyles very similar to the way human beings evolve. Oh, I see. And they have very, very low levels. And there's some other circumstantial evidence. Also, if we look at most animal species. But with the lifestyle that we lead, we have an LDL receptor that is chronically down-regulated, and we just live with uh, much higher LDL levels than we evolved with as a species. Mm. So uh, when we say very low, it's all relative. It's all relative. <laughs> all right. How about, uh, if I might, uh, any, any data on HDL levels in primitive societies or in animals? Not a lot of information. They're possibly slightly lower than they are now as an average, mm-hmm. but that means that they're still relative to the LDL. They were very much higher. When you published it in the New England Journal uh, last year, could you share with us some of the feedback you got from colleagues or friends or maybe even critics about uh, your conclusions? Uh, was anybody else more surprised than you? Or I think uh, many people were, were surprised. The one thing that surprised me most of all was a virtual absence of criticism. Oh. That's always good. Well, it's it's, it's both good. I mean, initially, the absence of criticism made me think that the people who disagreed maybe hadn't even read it. But uh, (laughs) I think the majority of people, it wasn't so much that they disbelieved as that they said, we don't have the evidence. Mm -hmm. And they were waiting for the evidence. And with this evidence provided, they are now generally prepared to accept that having a low HDL is highly predictive. But that still leaves the question that we don't know If we intervene to raise the HDL, does that necessarily translate into a reduction in risk? Now, my instinct is that it does. That has still not been proven. It sounds like a uh, a fruitful area for future research. Is your team or other teams uh, thinking about going in that direction? Very much so. The biggest problem uh, that we've had to face up until fairly recently is that in contrast to the very, very strong ability of statins to reduce LDL, we've not had very effective agents to raise HDL that are generally well tolerated. But with some of the newer formulations of niacin, which are much better tolerated, and effective HDL raising agents, and with some other agents that are in the pipeline that are even more effective than niacin in raising HDL, this is a hypothesis that we're now very, very close to being able to test. Is it technically difficult to get the kind of numbers and time frame you would need to do to get a statistical significance for that kind of study, or is, is that not going to be an issue? It's always an issue. I mean, if we were starting with a hypothesis that we can reduce cardiovascular events by let's say 20%, which would be quite a dramatic reduction over and above the the reductions that we achieve with statins and other medications, 
to establish that with statistical significance, we would need a minimum of about between 10 and 12,000 people followed for three to five years. So it's a very expensive business. It's a time-consuming business. But I think the ultimate payoff, if it turns out to be successful, will be worth all of the money, all of the effort. I'm always concerned that uh, this kind of testing is left exclusively to the private sector. I'd like to see uh, public money supporting more of this kind of research, but the amounts of money needed are very, very large, and uh, perhaps we're We're going to have to live with the private sector supporting. Mm -hmm. I'd like to say thank you to Dr. Philip Barter for being our guest. We've been discussing HDL levels and cardiovascular risk in patients with very low LDL levels. I'm Dr. Gary Cohn, and you've been listening to a special series exploring heart health on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. To comment or listen to our full library of podcasts, visit us at reachmd.com. Register with promo code RADIO and receive six months free streaming for your home or office. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to our special series, Exploring Heart Health. Join us all month for more here on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals.